Well, speaking of scent, I really have the pleasure of um, introducing our guest speaker, who is one of my oldest and dearest friends, and uh, we used to preach on college campuses together uh, 40 years ago, and uh, he is now the executive apostolic pastor for Gateway Church out of Dallas, Texas. They have a little bit bigger church than ours. They have about 40,000 members. And uh, Craig was also my associate pastor at Ohio State University when we were, we were so young. I, I, but he caused me to get gray. That's just, you know, it, blame it on him. But uh, Craig has just got an incredible word for us today. I want to welcome you, brother. We love you. God bless you. Give him a big, warm applause. Thank you. What a rich video about a transformed life and a heart for the nations. God called Abraham. He said, I'm sending you to a land you don't know, you don't know anything about. And he ended up in Israel. But he said, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. And there's something about the gospel that places a love for nations in our heart. And as I was watching that, sorry, don't you hate it when grown men cry? I was thinking about my son. Uh, I've got a son named Josh, and uh, you know, it's one thing when you read God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's another thing when your son comes to you and says, I think God wants me to move to Thailand and reach Thailand for Jesus. And I felt something of what God felt when he had to give his only son to the world. And I, I kind of imagine God the Father kind of getting down on one knee and maybe his son's got a baseball cap on and he takes the baseball cap off and kind of rustles up his hair and he says, son, I love you so much, but the only way I'm ever going to reach these people is if you go and show them my heart. And he sent his only son to the earth. And imagine what was going on in God's heart when he did that. And in the same way, that's how I felt as Josh and his wife Becca went to Thailand, to Chiang Mai. They're part of Antioch there in Chiang Mai. And uh, not just them, but they took our grandchildren with them. So it was, that's really what hit me. <laughs> but... Um, just to start to understand a, a taste of what God feels for the nations. And it's just so real and it's so important. And what you're doing here is so important. And I, I just want to honor Steve and Brenda. Forty years ago, 40 years ago, they were my pastors. And you were so faithful just to love me and believe in me. I was a college student at the University of Kentucky and to disciple me. Did you know Steve likes to disciple people? <laughs> and my life was transformed because of your investment in this kid. And then, uh, sorry, the crying is not in my notes. Um, they asked me to go with them to Ohio State and be the campus evangelist there. And we open air preached for probably a year and a half every day at William Oxley Thompson's statue outside the library. And 
we saw so many supernatural things, so many lives, so many, so many students whose lives were transformed during that time. And just thank you. Thank you for opening that door and thank you for the opportunity. And you all are blessed to have them here leading this church. As I was praying for this word this morning, I, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, um, gave me a prophetic word for the two of you. First of all, I saw a picture of um, a stack of dynamite just kind of packed in, uh, just packed into a small uh, location. And then there was this long, long fuse. And the fuse had been lit and the fire was going like this, like it always does in the Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons. And there's about to be a big explosion. And I felt like the Lord said, don't think about how long the fuse has been, but think about the explosion that's about to happen. And there's an explosion that's about to happen that's going to affect Raleigh and it's going to affect North Carolina. And you're going to be right in the center of it. And it's going to be a, not a negative explosion, it's going to be a very positive explosive expression of the kingdom of God that's going to impact North Carolina. Uh, and then I saw a second picture was a train. I'm, I'm very visual. Is anyone visual here? I'm like you. I'm visual. I saw this long, one of those long freight trains. You don't see the beginning. You don't see the end. Except I saw that the, tra the, the train was being pulled by two engines because of the number of cars. And then um, I felt like God said, That's, those two engines are Steve and Brenda. And he said, I laid a track for them. And all of those cars represent all of the transformed lives through the years. That everything's connected, Not, nothing's dislocated. Great is your reward in heaven, but also great is your reward on the earth. And I just saw this freight train carrying all these resources of transformed lives for the front lines of the kingdom of God. So you're, you've resourced uh, God's kingdom with great leaders. And thank you for that. I also want to welcome everyone that's listening or watching online. Uh, you're important. Sitting there at home in your yoga pants, we love you. Eating your breakfast, waking up your husband, we love you. <laughs> and you're just as much a part of us as if you were sitting here in one of the pews. And we can't wait to see you face to face, but uh, we know you're there. And, and again, during worship, I felt like there were some people that maybe you've been, been a little bit anonymous and you've been tuning in and you've enjoyed the worship. Uh, maybe participating a little bit, but watching a little bit. And I felt like there's some key leaders that are watching this right now. That God is going to transform your life. You're going to be part of that explosion that we just talked about. That God has a plan for you, and it's more important than, than uh, your career, your future, your five-year goals. It has, it has to do with impacting this region for the kingdom of God. And God's calling you to this house. God's calling you uh, not just to be part of this family, but you're kind of um, 
you know, we're a family, but also we're kind of a unit in God's army. So, you know, we're the bride of Christ, but we got army boots on. There's kind of mixed metaphors going on here. We worship God, but at the same time, we go to war. And there's some of you who are watching that need to volunteer to be part of the army. And God's got some very important things for you to do. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you all for being here. This is so much fun, and, and I love the spirit that's here. The title of this message is Prophecy. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And I'm going to give you a clue. I'm going to ask you a question. It's one of those tests that your professor gives you where you know he gave you all the answers during the semester, but you got to find them. Well, here's the question I'm going to ask. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you, to you personally? We're one week past Easter. So Easter has a central place in the Jewish calendar. We know that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which includes Passover, Jesus was betrayed uh, after the Last Supper, which was the Passover meal. He was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected. And then the day after his resurrection, something happens in the Jewish calendar. They, they move from the Feast of the Unleavened Bread to the counting of the Omer. So for 50 days, Jews today, Jews then, they count down from 50 down to 1. And over the course of 50 days, they prepare their hearts for the next feast, which is Pentecost. And the word Pentecost means 50, okay? And what are they celebrating in Pentecost? They're celebrating when God gave the Torah to the, the Jewish people. So 50 days after they sacrificed the lamb and they crossed the Red Sea, there was a countdown until they went to Mount Sinai and God give, gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the Torah on the mountain. So this is the counting of the Omer. Now, what does that have to do with Easter? Well, when Jesus was resurrected, that was the first day of that 50-day count. And the Bible tells us in Acts that for 40 days, he taught his disciples. And he, well, he was very busy during those 40 days. He, he had a schedule and he was sticking to it. First of all, he went straight up to heaven to the throne of God. You remember when Mary tried to worship him and tried to touch him and he said, don't touch me. I have an appointment on the calendar. It's been there for 5,000 years. I've got to get to God's throne. I'll be back. So he ascends up to heaven He's given all authority and power in heaven and in earth. All of the angels praise him, and he says, I'll be right back. He comes back to the earth. He's on the earth for 40 days instructing his disciples. He gives them the great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has just been given to me. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. 40 days, and then what happens on the Mount of Olives? He ascends back up into heaven, right? So he sends up, he ascends to heaven on the 40th day. That leaves 10 days. So he said, don't do anything until the promise of the Father comes. In just a few days. I don't think he told them 10 days, but he said in just a few days, something's going to happen. You're going to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be equipped to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So they had a 10-day prayer meeting. 
And then on the feast, on the 50th day, so they're counting down the Omer, and they get down to one, and it's the feast of Pentecost. Every, all the Jews are gathered, and then God pours out his spirit, Acts chapter 2. So we're in that countdown time. And how would you like to have listened to Jesus' messages to his apostles during those 40 days? I think those would have been some good messages. But they got them. We didn't. But they, they wrote them down. They were good scribes. They wrote them down. It became our New Testament. A powerful time, an important time. Now, here's my first point when it comes to hearing the voice of God. You have to expect to hear God's voice. You have to expect to hear God's voice. The most important phrase in the Torah is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. The Hebrew word is Shema, Shema Israel. If you were a Jewish family today, raising your children, like all the precious children that were here, the very first verse you would teach your children is Shema Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. That's the first thing every Jewish child learns. It's the first prayer every observant Jew prays every morning. And this is how they pray it. They take the right hand and they put it over their eyes. And they, and they say, hear or listen, Shema. It doesn't exactly mean what we mean by hear. It, it's more of a tune in and listen, Shema Israel. The Lord thy God is one. And it's the last prayer they pray before they go to sleep. And when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and, and many Jews were martyred, the Shema, that phrase was on their lips as they died. And when the Greeks killed them, they were confessing the Shema. When the Romans killed them, they were confessing the Shema. When the Nazis were killing them, they were confessing the Shema. It is the most holy phrase in the Torah. Hear, O Israel. The Jews were given the first auditory religion on the face of the earth. Every other religion was based on what they could see. In Egypt, they saw the sun, worshiped the sun. They saw the Nile, they worshiped the Nile. They saw the idols, and they worshiped the idols. They saw Pharaoh, they worshiped Pharaoh. Everything they worshiped was visual. The Greeks, everything they worshiped was visual. The Romans, the Jews were given an auditory religion. They had to hear their God. God said, never make an image of me, but listen for my voice. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. So Hebrew, the Hebrew language has created a culture of the ear through which God speaks. And Moses stated this, he said, remember all those years that you were in the desert and remember how I fed you. I fed you with manna, which you didn't know, your fathers didn't know, and which I taught you to know, so that you would come to know this, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
So we're told that manna going out and gathering your breakfast, these little wafers out in the desert every day, was a picture of believers hearing the voice of God and feeding on the voice of God. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it is so important, it's so central to our relationship with God that we're able to hear, that we're confident that we're hearing God's voice. Now, Jesus quoted the same thing. He said, I am the bread of heaven. And he said the same thing when he was, uh, when he was fighting the devil uh, in the wilderness during the temptation. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What was the first temptation of the devil? Did God really say that? Has God really spoken? The devil attacked what God spoke to Adam and Eve's ears. And what does the devil do in your life? It's the same thing. Whenever God begins to speak to your heart, the devil wants to inject doubt. In fact, the devil will create whole cultures which deny our ability to hear God's voice. And they'll say, oh, God doesn't speak to, to people anymore. God never spoke to people. Why would you think a creator God would ever speak to you? And there's always doubt in the air. Our culture today creates doubt. It's almost like throwing dust up in the air anytime God starts to speak. In fact, maybe some of you right now are wrestling in your mind with, well, what does he mean by saying God speaks to him? How, who would ever say God speaks to them? Okay, so that's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on this first point. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and the importance of expecting to hear God's voice. Do you expect God to ever speak to you? Or did God speak to Abraham? Of course, God spoke to Jesus. He was his only son. But does God want to speak to you today? Now, when I was preparing this message, there's really three things that I need to do to prepare a message for you. I need to hear God's voice. I need to pray and say, Lord, what do you want to say to Antioch and Raleigh? Because if I can't hear God's voice, I really don't have anything to say to you. Because all I'm doing is taking what God's saying, my impression of what God's saying, and then I'm kind of packaging it with a couple points and then sharing it with you. So if I can't hear, how do I expect you to hear God speaking through me if I never heard God in the first place? So it's my responsibility as a preacher to be able to hear. Well, what's your responsibility as a believer? It's the same responsibility, right? Your responsibility is, oh, I'm going to Antioch today. Lord, open my ears to hear what you want to say to me. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to me today? So you're not an audience. You're participating in this communication that's happening where I'm saying, God gave me a word for you. What does that mean? God spoke to me. There's something that you need that I have in my heart. And then you need to say, I'm open to the fact that maybe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me as well. And then there's something that goes on. There's a give and take that happens. And then when it's a good message, we say that was an anointed message. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit was here. And maybe taking a verse that I shared and then speaking it to your heart. And then you have something which is kind of like the golden nugget in preaching and teaching. You have the aha experience. Like, 
oh, that's what God's been trying to tell me the last two weeks. Oh, man, I needed to hear that. It wasn't that you needed to hear anything that I had to say. It's that you needed to hear what the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to you because you are a son of God, you're a daughter of God. So we need to open up these lines of communication. But when I say that kind of the world works against it, do you guys have that three-legged stool diagram? If you could just flash that up here, I'll explain it this way. Okay, how many of you are college students? Okay, college students, let me tell you what's happening right now, and you get to pay for it to happen to you. <laughs> Western civilization is built on a three-legged stool. One leg is revelation, and we'll call that Jerusalem. One leg is reason, we'll call that Athens. It's kind of Greek thought. And then the third leg is experience. And I don't know what to call that. I'll call that Babylon. But, uh, but all, of, all of Western civilization is built on the revelation of God to people. It's built on our reason, us reasoning things out, the scientific method, kind of us uh, rationally figuring out how the world works. And then we combine that with our own personal experience. Well, in the Enlightenment, Enlightenment think, thinkers knocked out the leg of Revelation. They said Revelation doesn't count anymore, okay? So in the university, we're not going to talk about God revealing something. We're not going to be, we're not going to talk about God-inspired thoughts or a God-inspired creation. We're going to leave all that out. And all we're going to talk about is reason. What can you, as a human, reason from your perspective, okay? So the three-legged stool became a two-legged stool, which is a little harder to balance. Now, what's happened more recently, say in the last 50 years, is that the same thinkers that threw out Revelation have thrown out reason. And they say the only thing that's important is your experience. So they're telling high school kids, hey, you're 16 year years old. Why do you think you, your teacher has any more authority than you do to tell you how to reason and how to think your point of view is as good as anyone else's point of view. So everyone is on this level playing field where the only thing you have to refer to is your own experience. But here's the problem. Our heads, our skulls full of mush. We do not know what to think about our world. That's why so many people are depressed and so many people are confused because we need revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is thus saith the Lord. I created you, I understand you, I know why you're here, I can shed light on your life, I can show you the path that you were made to fulfill, and if you will listen to my voice, you will have a good life. So our life today, our life today is dependent on hearing the voice of God, and that's called revelation, okay? So I'm introducing these different terms. That, that's revelation. What is the word prophecy? So I said, prophecy, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? That's the title of this message. Prophecy is simply when you have an impression of what God's saying, and then you share it with someone else. That's, that's called being prophetic, okay? The same way that a prophet like Jeremiah would get an impression from the Holy Spirit and would share it with the nation of Israel. So he was a seasoned prophet, started off as a young man, experimenting. Jeremiah, what do you see? 
I, I see a fig tree. Yeah, that's good. You, you are, you, you're seeing right, okay? So God trained Jeremiah. God trained the different prophets. But God trains us. And when we have a sense of what God's speaking to someone, like I had a sense of what God wanted to say to uh, Steve and Brenda, and, and then you share that with them, you're being prophetic, okay? Uh, so there's a prophetic element when we talk about revelation. And the initiative is with God. So the, the word is revelation because God has to draw back the curtain. It's not my initiative. I can't walk around saying, okay, I'm going to be spiritually prophetic myself. No, it's a revelation from the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and I need to understand how the Holy Spirit thinks and what the Holy Spirit wants and where the Holy Spirit is taking me. And that's where the word revelation and the word prophecy can come in. Okay, so when God speaks a personalized word to you, we call it a rhema word. Rhema is the word. So where, where it says man should not live by, every, uh, by bread alone, but by every word, that word in Greek is rhema, okay? A rhema word is a quickened word, a God-breathed word, a word for the moment. It's like when you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden something jumps out at you and you never saw that before and it's life to you and God speaks to you through that verse of the Bible, the fact that the Holy Spirit is breathing life on it and opening things up to you in that verse, that becomes a rhema word, a now word for you. So when I ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I'm saying, is there a rhema word, a personalized word that the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life? Are you tracking with me? Is that too many Greek words? Rhema. I'll give you an example. So, 40 years ago, in a past century, I was in this man's church, and I was with a bunch of college students, and we had an all-night prayer meeting. Now, in the prayer meeting, a guy who, he, he also lives in Raleigh now, Leo Lawson, I don't know if you've met him, Leo was in that prayer meeting. He said, I, I think I have a prophetic word. Well, what is it, Leo? I think God's going to give us a song that's going to follow revival around the world. We all go, yay. We keep praying. <laughs> the next day, I'm sitting on my bed in my dorm with my guitar, and I'm reading Joel chapter 2, and God gives me a song. Now, I don't connect it to what he said the night before. I just start singing this song, Blow a Trumpet in Zion. And we start singing it. And then pretty soon other churches start singing it. And then before I know it, this song goes around the United States and around the world. And that prophetic word that Leo shared with a couple friends was actually fulfilled in a song that I ended up writing. So there's an example of God giving one friend an impression and then fulfilling it through someone else. Well, it didn't end there. Maybe 15 or 20 years later, the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder. Now, when I talk about the Holy Spirit speaking to me, usually that's kind of how I think of it. I think of it as the Holy Spirit kind of going, Craig, hey, like a still small voice, like a tap on the shoulder. 
It's not like thus. It's not the King James, thus saith the Lord. It's more relational, more gentle. And, and he reminded me of that experience. He said, remember when I gave you that word that I was going to give you a song that was going to follow revival around the world? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's not the end of that word. I said, okay, what's the rest of it? He said, the same way that your song followed revival around the world, now you are going to follow revival around the world. So he added another phrase, he added another sentence to a prophetic word that was given to me about 15 or 20 years earlier. Now, at that time, I wasn't traveling to the nations. I was a pastor in Dallas, Texas, at Gateway Church, and pretty much I was just consumed by what was happening in our church. So I said, okay, me, me following revival, that's, I guess that's better than a song following revival. So then it was um, maybe two years later that the leadership of my church asked me to change my role and to take over missions. So I started traveling everywhere. I was in um, the Ukraine at a worship conference in Kiev, and there were about a thousand Russians worshiping. And again, the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder. He said, tonight, that second part of that prophecy is going to come true. So the, the conference leader's up there, and he's preaching in Russian. And everyone's yelling amen, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on through an interpreter. And they're all excited, and they're all worshipers. And, and what he was preaching on was, in every generation, God has a song for that generation. Then he asked them a question. He said, what was the song that we were singing <laughs> when the walls of communism came falling down? And they shouted back to him, blow a trumpet in Zion. The song I wrote. He didn't know I wrote it. So I'm sitting there. He's talking about a song that a college kid wrote in Kentucky. And the author's sitting right there. And the Holy Spirit just tapped me on the shoulder and said, the second part of that prophecy is coming true right now. So I stood up there, when it was my, time, my turn to share, and I said, I'm the guy that wrote that song. And I'm here to tell you that revival is here right now. And God poured out his spirit in that meeting, and the meeting went crazy. And if you've ever seen Russian, Russian worship leaders go crazy, it's, it's pretty wild. It, it's really crazy. They're not like us, they're like them. <laughs> so there's an example, kind of a dramatic example of how God takes a word and then he uses it not just to encourage us, but he uses it to direct our lives. And he uses it to establish mile markers along the way so that we don't get lost or we don't get uh, hoodwinked into doing the wrong thing. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you. God speaks to you every day. He didn't just speak at creation. He didn't just speak the Old Testament and the New Testament into reality. Right now he's speaking in heaven. We know that he holds all things together by the word of his power. So he actually holds the creation together with the words that he's speaking. But why does he want to speak to you and me? Because he wants community and he only has community if we commune by communicating. If you don't communicate with God, you don't have community. 
And God is perfect community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he is perfect community. He will not be satisfied until he and his church are face-to-face, loving one another, enjoying community together. And that takes audible communication. Now, what happens if it's Easter and I think, wow, I've got the whole weekend. What am I going to do? I'm going to watch the Ten Commandments. I'm going to watch The Chosen. I'm going to watch, you you line up all the Easter movies and you record them all on Netflix and you tell your family, hey, are you ready? It's Easter. We're going to celebrate. But everything is visual and I never hear God speaking to my heart. We live in such a visual culture that we can miss the still small voice of God and we won't actually know what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. Even though our minds are filled with the passion of the Christ and the best movies that the 50s could ever give us, we can't hear or we're not anticipating God speaking to us individually. Now, I think God's a whole lot more interested in our personal connection and our ability to hear his voice than he is in us just kind of underlining Christian culture and going through the motions without actually hearing his voice. That's why this is so important. So that takes me to the next point. We can experience the Holy Spirit. We can experience the Holy Spirit. We can expect to hear God's voice, that's the first point, but then we, we will experience the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a law when you read the Bible, law that teachers have, called the law of first reference. So the first time you see something defined in the Bible, a lot of times God will give an explanation of why it's defined the way it is. So what is the first time we see prophecy in the Bible? Again, we go back to Mount Sinai, Numbers eleven twenty four, and it said, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. So the Lord comes down in the cloud and then speaks to him, takes of the spirit that was upon Moses, placed it on the 70 elders, and, when, and as it happened, when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. There it is, the first time the word prophecy is used in the Bible. The 70 elders, they prophesied. And then look at this phrase that he sticks in here. Although they never did it again. Now that word prophecy or prophesied is the word naba. Say naba. Now say it about three or four times. Naba, 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 naba. What it's like is a kind of a bubbling brook kind of a word. Jesus said, he who believes in me out of his belly will out of his belly will flow rivers of living water speaking of the Holy Spirit. So these elders had this experience. The Holy Spirit came to rest on them and they started to naba. But they never did it again. And I thought about us as believers nowadays. How many of us, when I talk about experiencing the Holy Spirit, say, you know, I think when I was at that youth camp, back when I was in high school, I think I had an experience with the Holy Spirit, but I never did it again. Yeah, I think maybe I believed God to heal somebody once back, maybe three years ago, but I never tried that again. 
And how many of us place our experience with the Holy Spirit in something that happened in our past? Maybe even checking a box. Maybe we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians, and, and we talk about miracles or healing or praying in tongues, or in this case, I'm talking about prophesying. And then you go, well, I, maybe I did it once. But see, Jesus says, if you believe in him out of your belly will flow a river of living water. The river doesn't flow once. The river flows from the throne of God, gains momentum, flows through your life, and then this is a river that returns to the throne of God with everything that the Holy Spirit accomplished in your life by flowing through you. So the river is always flowing through you. You can always experience the Holy Spirit. So it's not only important just to hear the voice of God, it's also important to experience the Holy Spirit. And then that becomes the testimony of Jesus to the people around you. There's this wonderful verse let me jump down here really far. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is how this works. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay? So we're talking about experiencing the Holy Spirit. So, each one. Are you in each? When Paul talks about how churches work and it says here, okay, Corinthians, to each one, we're all eaches, right? So to each one is given what? The manifestation of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit that lives inside you wants to manifest himself through you. Well, what does it look like if the Holy Spirit manifests himself through me? What in the world does that look like? The Holy Spirit has one mission on planet Earth, and that is to reveal Jesus Christ to everybody. So for the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in your life means he recreates or he creates the life of Jesus in your life. He manifests the life of Jesus so that you have a testimony for the people around you. You have no testimony until the Holy Spirit manifests the life of Jesus in your life. That's what he's after. That's why in the book of Acts they called believers Christians. They looked at him and they said, they're like little Christs, they're Christians. Because they were acting just like Jesus. Now in Israel, when you chose a rabbi or when a rabbi chose you, the phrase that they used was, you're walking in the dust of your rabbi. So the new devotees of a particular rabbi, they'll think about Jesus and his disciples. They would follow the rabbi and they would memorize everything that the rabbi was saying. So they would walk in the dust of the rabbi until they heard the rabbi's message and they could repeat the rabbi's message. And a disciple, when he was fully formed, would look just like his rabbi. He would look just like his teacher. That means they would hear what the rabbi hears. They would see what the rabbi sees. They would feel what their rabbi felt. And they would represent the rabbi wherever they went. As believers, if you talk about us being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're saying is, we need to come to the place where there's a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the profit of all. 
For to one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, so utterance, so it's, it's something that's spoken. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, they speak faith by the same spirit. To another, there's gifts of healings by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. And to another, here's the word, prophecy, which has to be spoken out, okay? So when we gather in our small groups, what is the goal? The goal isn't just to eat pizza. The goal is to manifest the Holy Spirit in this group of people for the common good. So the Holy Spirit rises up in us, naba, 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 naba. And then when it rises up in all of us, or when he rises up in all of us, Lord, forgive me for the number of times I've called the Holy Spirit an it. When he rises up in our midst, he will manifest the life of Jesus in our midst. And then we become the body of Christ. We can expect to experience the Holy Spirit. The bubbling up of the Spirit manifests Jesus' life and Jesus' kingdom. And part of that is exercising this, this spirit of prophecy. He who prophesies, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. So we edify, we build up each other. Prophetic words, they build, it's like lifting spiritual weights. We build each other up. We coach each other. We encourage each other. We reveal something of the life of Jesus to everyone around us. And then we have something to give to everyone around us. So I have a um, kind of a worksheet that I can leave with you guys that maybe you could use in one of your small groups if you want to go into this a little deeper. And it kind of takes you through what does it mean to manifest the life of the Holy Spirit in our midst? What does it mean to be a disciple who's hearing the voice of God and who's experiencing the Holy Spirit? Okay? So I'll leave that with you, Steve, if that's okay. But what I want to do right now is I want, I just want to go back to the original question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you now? If you go home, you know, and you're, you're on your way to Whataburger, you have Whataburgers in North Carolina. We have like a riot, like Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeah, Whataburger. No, no Whataburgers. Chick-fil-A, no, they're not open on Sunday. Give me a restaurant. Yeah, that one. <laughs> and you're driving there. And you and your wife or you and your friend, you turn to each other and you go, what did the Holy Spirit say to you today? And you have that conversation, you will experience the Holy Spirit. You will experience the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And you'll understand why prophecy is the Spirit of Jesus. It's a good place to start. But uh, if we could have the worship team up here. And just think about this, uh, this process of hearing the voice of God Think about the importance of it. Think about your life. 
Think about the flow of the Holy Spirit through your life. Uh, if, if the Holy Spirit is like that artesian well, is, it, is he bubbling up in your life? Or have you put a big cap on it? And you, you just assume delegate hearing the voice of God to, to Steve. Hey, I'll come once a week. Steve, you tell me what God's saying. Well, hey, the Reformation happened 500 years ago, folks. And the Reformation was a celebration of the priesthood of all believers. You don't come to a building where a professional class of priests does something to you so that you'll be okay for another week. That was before the Reformation. Now every one of us is a prophet, a priest, and a king unto the Lord God. We're all fully empowered to hear the voice of God. We're all fully empowered to manifest the life of Jesus in every situation that we ever step, our, step into for the rest of our lives. We're all fully empowered to fulfill our destiny in God. And that's good news. So let's stand up together and, and uh, I'm gonna ask God that question. Heavenly Father, I thank you for speaking to every heart.